I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. Um, and I'm Natalie Busco. And we love to watch. We love to watch. And here's the kicker. Nellie, welcome back. Thank you. I'm very excited. I, uh, I, I'm I a huge horror movie person, so I think it's fitting that my second time on is for another <laughs> spooktober. <laughs> your batting, your batting uh, averages, or your, I guess your odds are pretty good, because uh, we like to make any month horror month. We love, um, and some would say we love to make any month horror <laughs> month. Uh, if you've never heard us, we're We Love to Watch. We're a movie podcast. We pick a theme, and typically... We pick the movies that we talk about over the course of the month around that theme. But not this month. This month, we're doing uh, our second year of Ladies Fright Night, or uh, Ladies Fright Night Part 2, where uh, we've partnered with a film group called Ladies Who Dissolve to have some of their members come on our show, uh, pick a movie that's important to them to talk about, and then we do just that, talking about it. Uh... The only caveats are, it needs to be a horror movie directed by a woman. And I will let Natalie not just introduce herself, it's her second year doing this with us. Last year she joined us for The Babadook, uh, but introduce the movie that we are going to be talking about today. Great. Well, yeah, uh, I'm Natalie. I love movies of all kinds, but I am especially fond of of horror movies. Um, it's probably not all considered a horror movie by... By most, but when you are in fourth grade, um, Jurassic Park is scary. Oh, uh, And Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I was in fourth grade. I lived on an island, so I had to go to the mainland to go to the theater. I didn't have, obviously, a, my own car or my own money and still managed to see that movie in theaters four times. <laughs> this is, sorry, can we can we? Yeah, let's go there? back to the island situation. So yeah, what island... Uh, Oh, was uh, there a was there a, was there a famous doctor that put you all on the island for research purposes? Was the island Manhattan? Because that would be the worst version of the story. No, I lived I lived in Florida, and it's just like, I mean, the bridge to the mainland is like a half a mile long, but in Florida, it something is basically more than walking distance away. Oh, it's so far. It's so far, but it's it's like a half a mile or a mile. Maybe the maybe the causeways were a mile, but you still you had to go over this mile long causeway. Nobody wanted to go to the mainland. It's like oh, it's so yeah. far. It's it's, it's over. a lost cause. It's over. <laughs> I admit your story sounds cooler saying you had to get off your island to the mainland and just see Jurassic Park. It sounds a little less cool when it's like I had to drive a mile. <laughs> well, I mean, it was a little further than a mile, and I couldn't drive because okay, I was in fourth grade, so. <laughs> But, you know, I was like, I saw that movie and I saw the dinosaurs eating people. And I was like, oh, yes, this is 100% my shit. Like, this is this is exactly <laughs> where I'm at. Um, uh, yeah, it's terrifying. I It took me seven. I saw it seven times in theaters. It took me till the seventh time to watch it without covering my eyes. <laughs> Scary I, shit. 
I love it. It's still it's still one of my favorites. And, um, you know, and my husband is really big into horror movies. And um, our four and a half year old um, always asks to watch Michael, her friend Michael, because she has seen the Halloween movies and likes them. I thought she was really into the John Travolta movie where he plays a drunk <laughs> angel. <laughs> um, I came home one day, I looked at this TV screen and I was like, what? what are you watching? And she said, mommy, it's the ghosts. I love them. She was watching Poltergeist. <laughs> um, oh my God. You got a good one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to do a Coraline theme for her fifth birthday. Like she is, yes. she's all about, uh, she's, she's, she's one of, she's one of us, one of us, <laughs> one of us. Um, so- and I think we, I think my, we've talked about that in some capacity in one of the groups that, cause our daughters are close to the same age and obsessed with some level of horror movie and specifically Coraline. Yes. Yes. Were they both born under like a, a blood moon or something? <laughs> <laughs> they both have uh, scars where they devoured their twins. Yes. <laughs> and then they've taken I, their powers. And <laughs> I was going to say, and then uh, some stains where they devoured another twin later. <laughs> yeah, a different twin. Someone else is unconnected to them. <laughs> but yeah, still they, a twin. Yeah. My my daughter's my daughter's goal in life, it's a weird one, but I try to respect her agency, is to make every twin a single. <laughs> uh, I just like to see, uh, you know, dads being supportive of, of their children, of their daughters specifically. Yeah, I try my best. So yeah, so I was excited. Um, actually, my husband and I, our goal for our Spooktober watches this year is at least 50% of them have to be written or directed by a woman. That's awesome. Uh, so always excited to talk about horror um, written or directed by a woman. And uh, I actually saw the invitation before I saw Jennifer's body. Um, and I was Me too. Des- deciding between the invitation and Jennifer's body. But I felt like uh, Jennifer's body was a good spooktober flick just because of the – it's the 10th anniversary and, you know, it's a little uh, – it's it's a little bit more to me on the the horror side, where invitations to me is more on the terror side. So, yeah, and we uh, we definitely have to do the invitation at some point. I love that movie. I think it was on whatever year it came out when we were doing our best of episodes. I'm pretty sure it was on my list somewhere. Um, yeah, and- I think it was like my number three and your two or something similar. Um, so yeah, so so Jennifer's body. Uh, we actually watched it. 10 years almost to the day after it came out in theaters it came out september 18th 2009 and we watched it september 19th 2009 which is 2019 which is kind of strange um not on purpose at all um (laughs) if you've only seen trailers uh you have no idea what this movie is about (laughs) (laughs) which is something i'm sure that we'll talk about how terrible the marketing was for the film um Uh, absolutely yeah, it's. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about this movie. I actually hadn't seen this movie until uh, last year's October because of the marketing. Yeah, but like when I, I remember those previews coming out in 2009 and the reviews were not great, and I just was like, "Oh yeah, it's a bad horror movie." And I'm really glad that uh, the the people who uh, stand for this movie are are very uh, vocal because it's great. I love it. I can't wait to talk about it, but. Before we do talk about it, it's our other favorite Spooktober tradition. Uh, So Peter and I, the last few years, have uh, tried our best to watch at least 31 new 
horror movies. I think not only trying our best makes it sound like sometimes we try and sometimes we fail. Uh, I think we have uh, succeeded to the point that we've ruined both horror movies and just movies for ourselves for a couple months after. Uh, <laughs> it's our entire waking moments is devoted to it. Uh, I think uh, somewhere Peter has beat me all four years that we've kept track. I think in the in the high 30s and then the 40s and then 50s. And Peter, I think last year you did something like 60. It does really sort of ruin the concept of movies. I usually go into November like just playing video games for a month. I'm like, I'm, I'm done. I can't follow a plot over three acts anymore. <laughs> it does ruin your brain for sitting down and uh, understanding film structures. Yeah. Like, at a certain point, your body's just like, nah, fuck this. Yeah. Uh, it takes your body a little bit to get back. You need to actually, like, I feel like the Christmas season following it, is actually pretty nice because Christmas movies are so gentle. By the time you get to the new year, you're ready for uh, to wrap up all your the, the hard-hitting Oscar dramas and shit. So typically, if you've not been with us on a Spooktober before, what we do is we talk about all the movies we watched in a previous week uh, and what we liked, what we didn't like, hopefully giving some recommendations uh, as we go through the month. Uh, and then ask our guests over the course of October to kind of talk about what they've already watched, some plans they they plans they have to watch certain movies, what they're excited about, general Halloween plans, because it is our most sacred time of the year, and we love talking about everything Halloween and Spooktober. And actually, I'm wearing my new um, ghost uh, pajamas for this recording. Uh, Very cute photo, by the way. Yeah, so my wife got them for our entire family. So we all have matching ghost pajamas that will be destroyed as I make everyone wear it every single day. (laughs) Uh, But, so we'll get into what we're doing, but we'll let Natalie, why don't you tell us a little bit about, uh, it sounds like you already got a head start on Spooktober, but some what you and your family are planning and uh, some horror movies that you're planning to get to. Sure. So uh, we are also big fans of uh, Halloween in general, being a fan of the spooky things. Um, and I'm actually pagan. So Samhain is a giant time of the year for me. Also, we live in uh, North Georgia. So there's, they call them mountains. I'm not sure if they actually qualify. Um, but uh, there's lots of farms and stuff like that. And they have all kinds of festivals. So we'll definitely be hitting up a few of those to do typical fall things and do like haunted corn mazes and things like that and do trick-or-treating and um probably hit up a haunted house so yeah and then um obviously uh we will be watching lots and lots of of horror movies and you know we've set a rule for ourselves that 50 percent have to be you know written or directed by a woman and the first one we watched was hello mary lou prom night two okay and we watched that on the last drive-in uh on shutter which is fun because you get a whole lot of interesting background information that you wouldn't otherwise have you learn some, <laughs> he some is interesting crazy. stories um we also <laughs> watched uh tigers are not afraid which oh, i was oh a big God. fan of um i cannot wait for that one i'm, I'm saving it for spooktober and that but. that that checks off our uh one of our our women uh directors um and then uh the dead don't die which i totally get is not everyone's cup of tea but man did i enjoy the hell out of that one yeah this that one's been mixed enough where i just got i just gotta see the fucking thing for myself uh 
obviously Jennifer's body in preparation for this. Um, and we did a rewatch of Shaun of the Dead because I was like, oh, well, we've uh, done a few zombie things. Why not add another one in there? And then we started watching Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 because it's the only Halloween movie Jake hasn't seen, but we haven't finished it yet. <laughs> I uh, I really dig the second one. Um, the first one I'm I'm pretty mixed on. Uh, actually, I like the first half, actually. Halloween 2 goes to some really interesting places uh, that, that you you really won't expect unless you've seen Lords of Salem. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Nally, anything else you got? Any more other highlights you got planned for the month? Yeah, no, really just, you know, typical, typical Halloween stuff and doing my my witchy shit (laughs) (laughs) um one of my side hustles is i i write for wicca magazine so i just actually did a lot of research into some original like how the hag became like the stereotypical witch imagery came about and why it came about and the history behind that and stuff like that so every halloween i try to do some research and learn more about it and learn more about the persecution of of witches and witchcraft and and the ramifications of that that are still felt today and things like that so yeah that's that's awesome yeah uh send us that when it's done and we can link it in these show notes as well oh definitely will uh yeah well thank you so much for for sharing i hope you have and your family has a very very spooky season uh peter who want do do you want to go first you want me to go first sure sure um i i i feel kind of bad how in previous years, I had to like hunt down and and really scrounge for certain horror movies. And now with Shudder, like half the movies I want to watch are getting dropped in the next month or or have been on Shudder for a while. Um, it's just so it's just such a compelling. I feel like if you haven't signed up for Shudder, you've you've got to poke around because it's an insane deal. Um, so like Tigers are not afraid and one cut of the dead are coming up next month. But also they've got some movies I've been meaning to catch up with like knife and heart and the ranger, but also they have like old, uh, yellows, like all the colors of the dark that like I have been on my list for forever. And it was like, okay, <clears throat> just dropped on shutter in, uh, in high def. <laughs> um, but the one that I, the one that for some reason I'm most excited about other than, uh, the most, the one I'm most excited about, like at home is to, I really want to watch Death Becomes Her. <laughs> I've never seen it before, but I've just seen gifts from it. You know, it's on my list too. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, we should stop hanging out. Uh, <laughs> we we rarely hang out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we should continue to not hang out, but yeah. also make it less than rare. But, but stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> we um, should hang but- out, but not communicate verbally. <laughs> Um, oh, and then the last couple things uh, for me that month is The Lighthouse comes out next month. Oh, I'm so um, excited for that. And and that like also might be like my favorite thing ever. I, I was watching the trailer in theaters before something. Um, oh, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And uh, just seeing the film presented in, in that, uh, I don't know if it's Hollywood ratio or uh, Academy ratio, sorry, or, or if it's just something very similar, but seeing a film presented like that in, in a big widescreen theater, I was just like, okay, this is a punch in the face. Like I'm, I'm very pumped about this. And then the last two that I really want to highlight are, um, I'm, I'm, uh, I read a lot of Junji Ito in the past year and, uh, I'm going to watch the Uzumaki and Tomi adaptations, even though I heard they're both terrible. 
But I'm going to see them because I want to see how the people interpret The new Uzumaki those. one or the original the, one? The original one. If the if the is the new one coming out in uh, I'm not sure. If I know it's, it's coming like out in October. I will also be watching that. Um cuz Adult Swim is doing a Uzumaki yeah. adaptation uh, with Colin Stetson who famously did the score for Hereditary. Um Aaron, what's your what's your kind of highlights for next month? So every Spooktober that we've done this month. For sorry. this month, yeah. That just started today. Um, just started. We are operating within the month of October. So every um, every month that we've done this on the show, I've tried to pick a, a mini theme through the movies that I select. So still a large breadth of different eras, different genres of horror movies, subgenres, stuff like that. But I try to have like what what's like going to be a thing that I'm going to watch a third of my movies around. So the first year we did this, I did anthology horror movies and tried to watch a lot of those that I had missed. The second year, I kind of I tried to focus on uh, horror movies aimed at kids uh, and watch a lot of those for the first time. Last year, I did movies that Peter has recommended to me that I hadn't seen yet over the course of Spooktober's, which was a lot of fun. Stuff like Messiah of Evil. Uh, there was a ton that Peter had recommended to me that I kept going, yeah, I'll get to that eventually. And so that was kind of my mini theme for that one. And this year I'm doing um, something that I tend to shy away from on these months. And I think a little bit stupidly sometimes. And that is uh, more recent horror movies that I've been really excited about and then just haven't got around to. So stuff that was released this year. In the last couple of years, stuff that, you know, kind of comes out in October when I'm already set in my October list watching so I don't end up adding it and then plan to watch it in November. And then, of course, by November, I don't want to see a horror movie again for a little bit and then I never get around to it. So uh, a lot of recent stuff that I've been really excited from, including stuff that just came out or hasn't quite come up out yet, like uh, Tigers Are Not Afraid or One Cut of the Dead. Uh, stuff that I've heard really good things about in the last couple of years, like uh, Hellmouth and Hellfest and The Field Guide to Evil and Anna and the Apocalypse and Crawl and Maw, Brightburn, Knife in the Heart, Terrified, Satan Slaves, Apostle, The New Child's Play, Escape Room. So really just trying to catch up on a lot of stuff that just has been on my radar that is, is usually the kind of thing I don't say for Spooktober, but really watch a bunch of stuff that I am excited about because – I think what I'm really trying to focus on this year is uh, avoiding spooktober burnout as I get through as many movies as I can. And I think sometimes, as much as I hate saying this, sometimes watching the more recent stuff, I think, has less burnout than when you watch, like, three Italian Giallo movies in a row or, like, (laughs) four 80s gore movies that are, like, 50% really good and 50% kind of the same. Uh, Yeah, really just trying to keep this one fresh. I do feel like last year I... I don't know if I didn't do the mix well or something, but even though I watched a ton approaching 60, I felt a little burnt out in a way that I hadn't a couple years before. So I feel like my burnout is similar with like yellows, but I'm, what I'm realizing as I watch these, uh, I have these horror months is that like, I just get, I get exhausted by murder mysteries, giallos, and slashers. Like, any movie that's just about, like, all right, in the last 20 minutes, you're going to find out who the killer is, and here's a bunch of people dying. Like, I just yeah. don't... Anything that's structured that way, I, I after I watch, like, three or four in the month, my body starts to, like, cave in. So I'm... I'm um. I'm starting to get a little bit more selective about slashers in general. Um, 
and giallos in general to make sure that like they're not dragging down other stuff. I've always I've always preferred terror to horror. Um, it's always been. I mean, I I'll watch slashers and there's slashers that I love, but stuff that gets in my head has always been my preference, and so I have to have healthy mix of that in i can't just watch slasher after slasher i get bored and i feel like i'm watching the same thing and i'm just like oh this again oh this again but i also that's why i'm also a big fan of some of the new stuff that's happening in horror because yeah it's such new takes like tigers are not afraid is magical realism fantasy horror like there's there's so much happening there and obviously you know jordan peele is revolutionizing the horror genre and there's just so many fun neat things happening that i love your idea of watching stuff that you haven't caught up on and i i haven't seen um midsummer or uh ready or not yet and so that's both are so good those are both on my list just as soon as as the day they hit Redbox. um (laughs) so um other things we have like some of the things that you've said um like one cut of the dead is on our list and um some older stuff that we just haven't had a chance to but now because of stuff like shutter we have more access to like near dark um things like that i think we're gonna rewatch um both suspirias because we like them so much (laughs) um (laughs) it's a good way to get i feel like suspiria is uh an underrated uh halloween season the original one is an underrated like getting you in the halloween mood movie oh absolutely Uh, it has like such a drenched drenched atmosphere it always makes me feel like it's fall yeah but yeah, uh, so that's our Spooktober uh, sort well, of plans. Well, hold on. I didn't give my plans outside of the movies, Peter. Oh, sorry. When you listed movies <laughs> for 20 minutes, I thought maybe you had made <laughs> I just said the things and everyone jumped in. All right. I just want to say a couple things. One, I am doing, I'm doing the same thing I did last year where I take off the first and the second of October to start with a bang and try to get ahead of the month as much as possible. Uh, and then I'm also doing... Um, I did it last year, which is Dismember the Alamo, where you go to the Alamo, they show you four horror movies that they do not announce uh, beforehand. Last year was a really fun mix, including three movies I'd never seen before, and then capping it with Return of the Living Dead, which was great to see in that crowd. Uh, that was just a complete blast, even if like my stomach for eating uh, Alamo theater food all day, which is generally good, but not necessarily great for 10 hours, paid the price for it. But I, I bought a ticket to that, so I'm excited to do that again. And then, of course, trick-or-treating is fun. All the stuff with my kids uh, dressing up is fun. My actually favorite thing, which normally we've done in September, but we're not doing in October until uh, October this year, is when I take Mayas and now my other daughter, who I don't know what her reaction will be this year, to the Halloween store, which she, from a very young age, has loved. Jumps on all the things that jump out on her. And just It treats it like an amusement park. Uh, usually to the surprise of onlookers who are watching a uh, a three-year-old have uh, literally gory zombies jump in her face and she just stares at them and then goes to the next one and steps <laughs> on it. That is always a lot of fun and I'm very much – and usually we get a lot of – you know, I think last year we got one of the spiders that jumps out for a porch and every day after school she'd want to jump on it and make the spider jump at her and stuff like that. So uh, excited to get more stuff for our house as well as just kind of – yeah, it's like going to the zoo – <laughs> or an amusement park, except it's only uh, open, uh, you know, a month and a half out of the year, taking taking the kids to the giant Halloween stores. So I, I just want to say I love how you 
scolded Pete for not, not letting you talk about things other than movies. And the first two things that you mentioned revolved around movies. I thought that was that was great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just like scolding Pete, Natalie. <laughs> yeah. Um, a, but yeah, decorating. Helps him sleep at night to know that he's brought me down a little bit. <laughs> Decorating no, the house is, uh, is one of my favorite things. Last year, we turned the house into um, a monster house, and we made teeth and eyes out of cardboard um, and put them up the like eyes above the garage and then the teeth on the top and bottom of the garage. So when the garage opened, it looked like it was the teeth closing and stuff. And we love we love to decorate. And, uh, <laughs> it's, it's so much fun. We actually we have a fence in our backyard, but there's gates on either side of the house. So my dream is to one year for Halloween, create like a, like a horror maze, like a haunted maze that goes from one gate to the other. And kids have to go through it to get candy at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, there's been enough ado, but Spooktober is such a great time of the year. And I'm really excited. You know, it's a week to go from when we're recording this of when, uh, I ruined my life and all of my relationships by watching nothing but horror movies for 31 days. So, yeah, I'm excited. Going into the abyss and trying to work my way out come November, December. How about you, Peter? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm hoping to still enjoy horror movies by the end of the month. That's going to be my goal. Um, I'm going to shoot for a a normal amount of horror movies. And then around the 15th, 16th, I'm going to just go insane and watch like 20 uh, yeah. And then by the end, it's just going to be a brutal slog, and the only thing I can watch is Ghostbusters. So you have to be like, some of your wife will suggest something like, do you want to watch like the new Spider-Man movie? Like, no, it's October. How dare you? Do you even love me? Um, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, but we've had, like I said, enough ado. Let's get to the main event. Are you guys ready to talk about Jennifer's body? We sure are. Yes, definitely. Don't ask me where I'll go, cause frankly I don't know, and I don't give a shit. Why must we all make sense of what just won't make sense for once? I'm just gonna live, I'm just gonna live. Teenagers, we don't know anything. provide us with some alternate taglines sure peter i would be happy to thank you for asking me i like participating uh, <laughs> i am glad we have such a easygoing rapport <laughs> oh yes me too uh i did, did come up with an alternate tagline but which is dumb because i'm the one that said why don't i do alternate taglines <laughs> you're uh, like why don't i put my dick in that bear trap <laughs> please i insist <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is the weirdest sequel to the OC ever. <laughs> I mean, come on. He was, he was kind of a weirdo. I don't think he was, a, he was as sweet, as much of a sweetie as we thought he was uh, back in the day. I've watched one episode of the OC, which was the first one. Oh, if you weren't making a point, then I was. Oh, great. Um, Nally, did you ever watch the OC? Is the OC the one where that meme about the shooting... With the... What you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, when you want it. Yeah. 
I've seen I've seen that. <laughs> I, I don't even but, know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> uh, you've definitely seen the SNL parody where they just keep shooting each other. I am mainly familiar with it from uh, the Phantom Planet song that I believe was the theme song. The sure California, was. yeah. Uh, uh, it was a, it was that song. What was it? It was, it was about uh, it was about California and um, being there. I think it was called okay. California. Here we are. Uh, also, just a weird fun fact. So, I had a note in uh, early on in this movie. It takes place in a place called Devil Falls. Um, Devil's that, kettle. Devil's kettle. Devil's kettle. Sorry. So I had Jesus. a sounded I like had, a real Adam Brody. Sorry for real. Um, I know. Well, Devil's Lake is in North Dakota. <laughs> That is a real place where Jesus. Yeah, it sounded takes familiar. Place. Uh, by by where it takes place, I mean where it occurred, because that is a documentary. Um, but uh, I was like, oh, I really like this background of a waterfall that like just drains into a hole. That's a cool detail. And then I looked it up, and not only is it a real place, even though scientists do understand where the water's going in the real one, it's in Minnesota, about four hours away from where I live. Uh, and my wife was like, was watch this with me. It was like, we should go. That looks super cool. Even though I think the one they use in the movie is not the actual location. But I guess I should have known that because it looks yeah. like they shot it in Pacific Northwest. It looks yeah. a little too, um, uh, vertical for the Midwest. Yeah. The, and the real one though is like in the, uh, in the point of Minnesota, like above Lake, uh, Superior. Um, so like, uh, two hours north of Duluth for all you Minnesota heads out there. Um, but, I love uh, which yeah, is, is great. It's so funny too, watching it in the beginning. I was, before we knew exactly what state they were in, I was like, I think this is Minnesota. Well, it makes <laughs> sense. Like as, as that occurred to me, as I like looked it up afterwards or whenever we were watching it or whatever, I was like, well, I should have known that because Diablo Cody is from Minneapolis. Um, oh, so, so of course, of course. I need, to, need to check that fact a little bit. Yeah, so it makes sense. It's just one of those weird things that uh, my wife, who's lived here her entire life, and never heard of it either. So, so Diablo Cody, I think, lived in Minneapolis at some point, but she uh, was in say is the, the the little fun fact is I went to the same high school as her. She went to Bennett Academy in Lyle, Illinois, um, uh, which and she grew up in Lamont, Illinois. Um, which is, I don't know, 20 minutes from where I grew up. So she's, she grew up very local and then, um, she moved from Chicago to Minnesota. So the, 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 the sort of like, uh, Midwest references that she pulls off in, in this. And, um, I think her best work is United States of Terra. She pulls off a lot of like funny Midwest references, uh, are all, uh, hit really close to home. I don't know. Just hits, I think it hits Aaron and I both in that sort of hometown spot. <laughs> Yeah, it uh, it feels uh, like watching Coen Brothers movies, like, there is a real sense of, like, oh, I've been to that town. <laughs> like, I've been, <laughs> I've stopped there for gas before, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, just a kind of that small, close-knit community is, uh, is very, very common all across uh, the upper Midwest, so. Yeah, yeah, it, it um... But yeah, while we're while we're talking about the kind of setting, yeah, um, go, do you go want me to plot. run through the plot? Yeah, go, go through the plot. Yeah. I mean, I guess the movie begins with a very quick, much quicker than what we had, um, <laughs> explanation of what Devil's Kettle is. Uh, it's about two best friends uh, since childhood, um, Jennifer, uh, who has a body. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Uh, I always get these actors' names wrong, so let me get it, pull it up, so I don't fuck this up. 
and edit all this out. Edit all this out. <laughs> it's Megan Fox. I got Megan Fox. I always I always uh, get Amanda Seyfried's name yeah. wrong. Um, Jennifer and her friend Needy, who are our, our lead protagonist. Needy is in a uh, institution, and the framing device is that is you're, she's an institution. You get to find out why. Um, so we jump back in time to her hanging out with her best friend Megan Fox, who's like the hot girl. Um, and that comes with not just the fact that she's attractive, but she's, it's the, um, she's the one that turns people's eye and she's, uh, sexually promiscuous and she, you know, dates people that aren't in high school anymore. Like she kind of just like, she just feeds off that sort of attention. She's sort of a stereotype of like that, that sort of girl that I think everyone has like a version of that in their head, whether or not they match the details exactly. And Needy is sort of her like, the, it the oldest her oldest friend and they have a very complicated um they have a very complicated relationship that starts out borderline homoerotic and then develops in in that direction more as we go um i'd rather park that and then we'll actually develop on it later but uh anyways needy has a kind of a dipshit boyfriend and uh that's uh, she's she's you know, so somewhat happy, somewhat stable, but sort of awkward, a little anxious, you know, just figuring herself out. Whereas uh, Jennifer feels like she's just so like confident and developed and she like goes out in the world and like strikes out and just does whatever the fuck she wants. And so Needy kind of gets off on like chasing Jennifer around. Um, but she also kind of helps Jennifer out when she like gets into too much trouble. Um, so they decide to go to a bar to see a band that Jennifer, of course, she she doesn't want to just see the band. She wants to fuck the lead singer, um, Adam Brody. This is called uh, Low Shoulder. Low Shoulder. Low Shoulder. And so they go see this band in a bar and uh, the band is acting kind of creepy and predatory towards Jennifer at, at, at first. And you're getting like weird hints about them. And then all of a sudden the bar sets on fire. And Jennifer is in a weird trance state, and Needy needs to literally drag her out of the bar to save her life. Uh, when they get out there, uh, Nikolai uh, sort of uh, trances uh, her into the band's van, and they drive off with her. Uh, Needy doesn't see her for a bit, and then she just shows up. Jennifer just shows up at her house and has gone through a horrific transformation um vomiting this black prickly vomit and has become possessed by some sort of force uh and as the movie goes on we find out that needy needy is trying to to both uh figure out how to reel in her friend who is uh clearly murdering members of people in town um and uh also go on her own sort of personal journey it's not just all about jennifer for her anymore now she needs to figure out her own stuff so uh at the end of the movie the 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 point of conflict the final point of conflict is jennifer goes after needy's boyfriend and um uh, needy decides to go defend him from her and uh it fails uh the boyfriend gets murdered uh and then needy seeks revenge on jennifer stabs her through the heart which uh, kills her, kills the demon, and um, that is how Needy gets into prison. But there's a twist at the end where you find out that uh, monster hunters sometimes absorb some of the power of the demons that they have uh, hunted. So now Needy is this, like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer-type monster hunter, breaks her own ass out of uh, the asylum. She has come to some sort of self-realization about herself and what her needs are, and uh, she has moved on uh, to presumably 
go get revenge on the band and then after that maybe go like hunt out evil in the world like it's kind of a badass empowering ending about um our hero our you know sort of like uh mouse to hero sort of journey um well and it's not presumably that she gets revenge on the band right yeah i said that part's that part is uh is is very much stated and i think she's gonna win the band is just a bunch of uh hipster skinny hipster dorks from the mid-2000s well actually did you not watch the credits so i didn't watch the credits the first time either and i because i was in spooktober mode where that's a director's name movie off next one in uh yeah, but this time I did. I didn't realize there was a whole thing where she actually kills the band on screen. Yeah, it's in sort of snapshots, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's uh but she but she presumably uh goes on to, you know, um uh fight monsters and destroy evil or write justices or maybe just be like a really really cool person out in the world. Um after you know, that. You know the movie kind of the ending of this movie reminds me a little bit of. Um, have you guys seen the movie Teeth? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, where at the end, um, after like being um, uh, the victim in a lot of like predatory people who are trying to like uh, convince her into having sex, she decides to like take that on the road and uh, go on the offensive against predatory behavior. Uh, and that's that's kind of what this ending reminded me of the first time I saw it, and this time as well. Uh, I I was getting serious teeth vibes for years, and if you don't mind, I I kind of want to walk through my personal history on the movie really quick. Yeah, um, I hated this movie when I first saw it, um, and I have a broader point to make about that, so be patient with me. Um, when I first uh, saw this movie, I was just like, this is just generic and dumb, and I was at a low low level of patience for Diablo Cody shit and uh it, it just had this like mid-2000s glossiness that I was just not nostalgic for at all it's just it it felt too soon right it's sort of like in the past couple months people have been getting very nostalgic for Gossip Girl um and and have been re-watching it I guess a lot of women have been nostalgic in particular um for Gossip Girl and re-watching it and like I, I feel like sometimes movies need time to cook and you need to get a little bit of distance to understand what they were doing within a cultural context. And uh, that happened to me. And I watched the movie a couple years after that. And uh, for this, for the show. And now I really like it. It's a it's a fascinating movie that operates within this like mid-2000s glossy teen movie sort of di- uh, construct that manages to subvert a lot of your expectations while also delivering the goods and like i uh <laughs> i feel like when i was watching it for the first time i was like eh, it's just like i've seen this movie before i've seen in teeth teeth did this did, did this really well and very much i saw this movie as similar to that but like teeth had teeth so to speak um teeth was operating more in like a cool like sort of, sort of chiller um to mid-2000s indie vibe um, and this was operating in like an MTV level, like get in your face, crazy camera movements. N- every shot is a flourish. And at the t- I, a couple years ago or three years ago or whenever I saw it for the first time, I found it very overwhelming. And then when I watched it, like, yeah, literally like two days ago, um, I loved it. I, I, I just thought it was a, a blast. Um, so, yeah. So uh, what's your history with this, Natalie? <laughs> Um, I actually saw it for the first time this year. Um, it's awesome. something that's it's something that's always been on my list. And after 
seeing the invitation and finding out it was from the same director, I was like, oh, okay. And I actually didn't even know it was written by Diablo Cody until I saw the credits and I was like, oh, hey, look at that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) The opening or ending? The, I wasn't paying attention to the opening credits. The ending credits is when I was like, oh, hey, look at that. That's Diablo Cody wrote this? Hmm, interesting. Okay. I didn't I, I'm sure that. lines like uh, moveon.org made more sense. They sure did. They <laughs> sure did. Um, but, um, and again, you know, and I think I, I had always heard, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of Megan Fox anyway, and I always feel like she's kind of been the victim of shitty studio men. <laughs> Um, uh yeah yeah <laughs> I, I i almost feel like not to jump on that like i feel like in some ways this movie kind of like mirrors the story that she's told about like her real like her life in acting where people saw her as a sexual object and like fought back at any sort of like attempt for her to uh, uh assert herself or assert her agency or all these other things as well like uh her story that she's told about like kind of no one seeing her as a victim even when she was clearly victimized because of who she was and how she understood that was the case which is why she didn't feel like speaking out earlier on some stuff that she experienced because everyone would look at her and go how dare she complain because of x or y like that feels like it mirrors this movie quite a bit in a really odd way where like you know megan fox's character is a hundred percent a victim of people uh attacking her for who they believe that she is uh based on her you know sexuality and her actions and the way she dresses and everything else and then she's forced to kind of live with those repercussions in a way that she can't really um, articulate to anyone else. And because part of those repercussions are her uh, needing to feed off of people to continue to be healthy and survive, that no one has any sympathy for her. Right. And I mean, actually, it was shooting this movie, the scene where she goes swimming naked in the lake, mm-hmm. um, shooting that scene, um, a paparazzi snuck to the lake and took pictures of her getting out of the lake. And she had on like nude underwear and like nude, um, you know, breast covers and stuff, but still like they were there to objectify her body. And she talks about how she had like a breakdown because like, that's all anyone was after. And like, it bugged me how even women were like, well, like, of course, like, what do you mean? Of course, like that's, that's not what the fuck, (laughs) you know, like it's not, I just, I always feel like she was, so hot and so the hot especially after transformers she was so Mm -hmm. the hollywood you know bombshell sex symbol that so many people stopped thinking of her like this is this is a person with feelings and you aren't treating her that way um and well she also like had that that tiff with like michael bay and everyone at the time i remember the internet took michael bay's side which just felt so like in retrospect feels so like no one takes Michael Bay's side. Like, he's the worst. But, like, when Megan Fox is like, hey, he's treating me like shit. Like, fucking Steven Spielberg came to Michael Bay's. I know he's producing the Transformers movies, so he has some stake in it. But, like, yeah, it was it was really shitty. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's one of those things where I'm sure a lot of us went through multiple acts on Megan Fox where... She was just, for a lot of people, I bet she was just the hot girl. And then whether or not that thinking evolved or devolved over time, um, 
depends on whether or not you're keeping up their career, whether or not you have some sort of um, inherent, uh, you know, misogynistic shit you need to dig through. Um, But the truth of the matter is people's careers and the perspectives that people have uh, on actors uh, which you know reflects on whether or not those actors get roles. It's not a it's not a one way street. Um, those perspectives um, are only affected by usually by those actors uh, going getting out there and getting interesting roles. And she was starved for interesting roles for uh, a lot of her career, um, which is just uh, just nuts, right? Like uh, the, such a talent so funny she can do a lot of a a lot of things like she can inspire empathy she can be like a fun and quirky and kind of light like she is i mean i feel like new girl was probably the point where a lot of us gave her a second shot right yeah she's really good at new girl yeah and i i think you're right to call like she is a very good actress which i i agree that she didn't get a lot of credit for there's a scene in this movie where She's getting ready for the dance and she's crying and putting on her makeup. It is just like someone who is both like possessed by this need to go do this thing, but she's so good at like these subtle reactions of like, um, you know, they're not, they're not big, but they are just someone who like in that moment, you, you see the look of a person who doesn't want to go out there and have to do this thing again to, to survive and really underscores that like even though obviously murdering people isn't in general great um even though i think uh, a lot of people in this movie um especially the guy who who listens to the punk version of i can see clearly now deserves to be murdered i uh like you know that she that like there's that one moment of her just being like oh yeah i'm a i i was a human now i'm this high school person who has to go out and and continue to exist in my new realm and no one i don't have anyone to talk to i don't have anyone in my life and like it's such a great moment of vulnerability um that i think is exactly the thing she doesn't get any credit for yeah i don't think she i don't think she gets uh she gets credit for this and and i'm curious if it's what it's going to take to do that um I thought New Girl was going to do it. <laughs> well, I think but. some of it, she's kind of said that she's kind of, uh, you know, she's she's now a parent. I think she's kind of said that she's a little less interested in acting, both based on her experience and the fact that she, and but yeah, both on her, based on her experience in the movie industry and also uh, just having other priorities. Yeah. Well, you know, and she, you know, like you said, also part of it, you know, she has three kids with Brian Austin Green and he's got the weird Beverly hills 90210 thing happening again so (laughs) you know she's she's all right (laughs) yeah she'll be fine i just it's just i would like to see more of her in movies because she's so great in this but um, so so would i and i i think that this is a great example and you know it's it's getting a resurgence now which i you know it's kind of become you know what they call like a, a cult hit i don't know why they call it that but anything that becomes popular that wasn't popular in movies but becomes popular later it's like it's a cult hit like no it's just popular now um but no one says um, that about it's a wonderful life right (laughs) (laughs) um but i do i do hope that when people revisit things that you know if if she wants to um act again that she'll get chances because i thought you know i thought that she was 
she was great in this. She, uh, in particular, some of the stuff isn't even, um, you know, isn't even speaking. Like the when she first shows up at Needy's house, um, all covered in blood, and uh, she has that creepy ass smile, like with her mouth covered in in blood and sludge and like she that that smile she does is just is is amazing like that that right there i was like oh she's having a blast like she you know you could tell like it and she really sold it and and so just small stuff like that i feel like you know she's she's deserving of of more roles if she wants them yeah and 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 uh karen kusama i think does a really great job of shooting both of capturing both Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried in this movie because Megan Fox is very often seen as an object of desire and she's uh, used in a, in a succubus role in the movie. She's they're sort of hinting that the the demon that has possessed her is a succubus or some form of it. Um, so in a way, it's sort of you know rehashing the you know evil seducer myth, uh, you know the succubus myth um, for a new generation in the way Ginger Snaps did for werewolves or. You know, Twilight did for vampires or True Blood did for vampires. Sort of modernizing the concept. It's just it's a more obscure kind of monster, which I've got a lot of respect for. Guillermo del Toro did for Shape of Water. But, um, <laughs> but, um, wait, what did he do a new version of for that? The creature from the Black Lagoon? <laughs> yeah, he didn't quite update it the way those, those, uh, those ones did. Um, One word fox yeah <laughs> yeah he updated in the sense that they they canonically fuck as opposed to subtextually fuck but karen kusama it just just i think she really captures she captures this sort of uh monster movie this classic monster movie um concept of uh the the monster you know something that's horribly vicious and bloodthirsty but also is a, is a, a human being and is, is experiencing you know like maybe feelings of empowerment in a way they didn't before or feelings of of self-pity and and that that's sort of um karen deciding to keep jennifer complicated the whole movie is why this movie is interesting to me and why it, it, i think it's like a great conversion vehicle for people who don't like megan fox too well also i mean and we were talking about classic horror she also takes a lot of those tropes and um you know the, lot of the movie takes a lot of those tropes and flips them on their head because uh jennifer starts off as a pretty typical first girl in horror movies you know yeah. she comes off as vapid and sexually promiscuous and kind of a bitch you know like and she she's the first you know she's the first death really um but usually that's the end of it and we move on to everybody else in the final girl but in this one the first girl gets her power back like you know and and so she's she has that that first girl um that typical first girl stuff but then that slipped on its head when it's like oh oh you thought you could do this to me well guess what fuck you um and i think that's really interesting and the same thing i think with the with amanda seafried being the final girl i feel like they flipped the final girl trope on its head um as well so i think it's really cool that there's a lot of classical horror elements but that are also just just changed and and flipped and um and looked at in a new way um especially when it comes to women in horror that's a great point because it's not just that megan fox is like a typical first girl she's being as you mentioned like targeted because of perceived vapidness and her sexuality and stuff like that and when she comes back 
with new powers, it's it's that sexuality that she kind of utilizes to to uh, overpower and and destroy and kill and, and take the energy from the type of people that were objectifying her that led to that in the first place. So, you know, it it, it feels like it really is that I a really uh, great idea or concept of kind of turning the thing that you were being um, victimized by in some way and the way that misogyny was focused on you, uh, kind of retaking that power back and utilizing it for your own purposes. And I, I think there's a scene like, I think that scene at the bar early on really kind of underlines that, right? Because she's she clearly has um, a, a good sense of her own like sexuality and she has a style that she does. And, and that, the way that she dresses, the way that she acts is viewed by people as two separate ends of the spectrum. Like, some people are calling her, like, promiscuous and a slut and all that kind of stuff. And then some people see that and are like, oh, she's just a virgin tease and stuff like that. And that's what the band decides to grasp onto to enact their satanic ritual. But I think what's interesting is that, like, no matter how she's viewed, which are very opposite ends of the spectrum... Either way, it's the way that she's acting, the way that she's dressing, that, and it's like these hateful feelings directed towards her that have nothing to do with who she is as a person or the way that she actually acts. But just by existing, there's just a like full spectrum of misogynistic hate and attitudes directed towards her. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's interesting to me. You know, the the sexuality thing. Like, it's either way, either she actually is in sexual control or she wants to be in other she's pretending but wants to be but either way that's not okay like how dare a woman have her own sexual agency and be okay with it and be proud of it or or if she doesn't if she hasn't actually acted on it want to have and i think that that's um that's something that that comes up uh you know a lot in it's it's really it's really interesting to me because it's also it's funny to me that for somebody who is so experienced and is viewed the way that she is when it comes to actually flirting with someone she's legitimately interested in she's she's terrible at it yeah it's because the power that she felt a sense of um power before and then uh all of a sudden like she gets a little wobbly and then like an uh you know an awkward goofy indie rock guy uh, standing a little bit taller than her on a stage is is enough to completely throw her off her game is is so interesting oh i thought the person you were talking about was amanda uh <laughs> amanda seyfried and no she's comfortable with the amanda seyfried thing uh with neat with needy's thing let's let's dive in there uh this is a movie similar to ginger snaps where the, the um quote-unquote uh lesbian subtext is just text that that there's a scene uh in the movie where they're kissing and it's not played for horror it's not played for comedy it's not paid for with as a as as something that should be terrifying it's just paid for like a a, almost like relief or maybe just realness like there's no music playing over it no and i I don't have fucking music playing all over the movie and I don't think it's even played for, like, not surprising because a woman directed it, but, like, it's not played for, like, titillation from the male gaze. It really kind of focuses on uh, on their lips and is, like, this very close, tender moment as opposed to, like, I think the version of this you would see 
had a Mandarin. It, it was startling to me because the aesthetic of this movie is, is pop music wall to wall. Um, that that is the one moment where pop music isn't weaponized. It's just this moment. And you, you kind of wonder if Karin was in the editing room with, with her editor and was just like, no, leave this one, leave this one raw. Yeah. Natalie, what'd you make of the, the sort of lesbian text of this movie? Cause I, 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 I find it fascinating that like the first time I watched it, I had, I completely forgot basically between watch one and two that that was in the movie. So it's interesting to me because... I feel like needy, I mean, could you be more on the nose with a nickname for her character? <laughs> I know, I know. Um, and what's interesting <laughs> to me about it is she seems, I, I don't even think, I'm not even sure needy knows. Like, there's definitely things throughout the movie that make it seem like she might be in love with her best friend. But I think there's also there might just be like she wants to be her best friend. It's like she just she just there's and the, I, I think that there's um, I, I don't I'm not even sure she knows if she's actually sexually attracted to her or not. Yeah. Like I, it's it's um, when Jennifer kisses Needy, Needy definitely seems to f- have a feeling of like at first like, oh, my God, like this is finally happening. But also like do i want this to be happening you know and yeah and i and i don't think that's entirely tied to um seeing her friend be a creepy bloody monster on the hood of her car <laughs> like i think part of that do i want this to be happening is also like she's i think that one of the the themes that this movie um plays with so well is toxic friendships um and there's the line in the movie that needy has um sandbox love never dies or something like that and it's something and it's something that i've experienced myself and i know a lot of my other fr- my other female friends have experienced where you have a friend that you've had for so long that you really probably shouldn't be friends anymore but <laughs> they've been in your life for so long that you don't really know how to not have them around um, and I think that her, so I think it's really fascinating because I think that there's a possibility that she was in love with her. I think if there's a possibility that she just had complicated emotions and didn't know how to express them. And she was a teenager full of hormones and they came out, you know, I just, I think that there is, um, there's a lot of stuff happening there and, and a lot of it plays into that, that toxic friendship where they don't really have anything in common anymore. And they're really just friends because, they've always been friends and you know it's it's that's a hard thing to 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 stop that's a hard thing to um to to stop doing and um friendships sometimes they keep going even if they don't make any sense and you know sometimes your best friend gets possessed by a succubus and you have to kill her and that's what ends the friendship and what can you do (laughs) (laughs) yeah when you mentioned the toxic friendship stuff even at the beginning of the movie before uh the succubus uh stuff needy's like explaining to chip uh her boyfriend who i do think the movie purposely forgets about for long stretches and i would forget about uh uh, because yeah chip isn't really all that important to needy it does feel like on some level and this doesn't necessarily mean because she's in love with her best friend although i i definitely can buy into some of that interpretation that that's out there i just think at the end of the day like she has a boyfriend because that's what you do in high school you have a boyfriend and chip sucks but uh, we chip talk. is such a bummer <laughs> he's the worst 
But uh, he's she's I mean, telling he's, he's she- the same character from Scott Pilgrim, where he's just kind of like uh, a human wad. He just kind of yeah. like he's like a spitball. <laughs> I, think, on the ceiling. I think I think a wad is a good way. Yeah, <laughs> I think Chip has some excellent points, though. I think I think Chip makes some excellent excellent points. Like Needy blows him off because Jennifer wants to go to what she calls a club, which is really just basically you know like it's not it's not even really a bar it's like a moose lodge basically (laughs) and um the vfw exactly it's the vfw (laughs) it totally is and it's it's just needy doesn't want to go like there's nothing there for needy jennifer doesn't really need needy there she just you know she likes having you know the the wing woman for who knows what you know what reason it just makes her feel better but she she totally blows off her boyfriend to go do this for for jennifer for no reason when jennifer isn't really seen to do anything for needy ever and so i think i think while chip can be portrayed as kind of a wet blanket he also makes some really good points like when needy tells him that jennifer is evil and he's like yeah i know like and and I've been and, saying that for a while. Yeah, she's like, no, not not high school evil, like evil evil, and 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 I don't even. He's, I mean, I I think it probably came as if if he really thought about it, Jennifer being the one that ends up possessed by a demon makes the most sense. Like it's um, yeah. in his in in his mind. So while while he's kind of a drag at some points, I also think from the outside is trying to show needy that the relationship is toxic and she's refusing to see it. But isn't there some stuff to where, and I wish I would have wrote it down, these specific things he says, but like when he's talking to her about like uh, before the dance, I feel like Chip is also like questioning Needy's agency and the stuff that she wants as well. Oh, 100%. Later, he he definitely sucks because he doesn't believe her at all. But I feel like in the beginning, he definitely has some valid points about yeah, about oh, the yeah. shitty state of their friendship. Well, yeah, because uh, Jennifer, that was the toxic thing even before all the succubus I mentioned, where like, when I go out to the club, I need to wear this or else Jennifer will get mad at me, uh, which is definitely like not great friend behavior to like dictate what your friends wear uh, to certain things because <laughs> they think otherwise. tits are her thing. Yeah, I'm not allowed, yeah, I'm not allowed to show off my tits. I need to uh, so, yeah. show off other things. Um, but there, but then there's also like these these moments that think that there are while high school maybe has done a number on their lifelong friendship, like I do think that moment right before the bar burns down, which I want to talk about next, <laughs> because <laughs> um, that whole thing is this movie is very funny as well. But um, there's that moment where they're like holding hands and just seeming to enjoy each other's company in a way that, like, I think only happens with lifelong friends, like. Where it's just, hey, I like this song. Let's sit here and enjoy this music together and like share a moment of closeness. That moment is very specific and it makes me sometimes question what – I'm not quite sure what it's saying. in the Because it doesn't feel like it's really building on the fact that, the, that they're attracted to each other. No, for me and something that I have that I have experience with because the hand-holding stops because – Jennifer refocuses her attention on on the lead singer of Low Shoulder. I think that for me, that, that what that moment was was showing like how shitty it feels when 
you are a friend who is being like, you, you told me you wanted me to come. You made me out here. We were having a great moment and you completely forgot I existed because of some swinging dick that's just appeared. And I was Jennifer in those situations in high school. I definitely like blew off friends for for dudes and it took me way too long to understand like what a shitty person and friend I was being. Um and so for me that was just a really that was a a way of illustrating like like they had this great moment and then it was just split and done and how painful that was for needy because jennifer refocused her attention yeah i never even thought of that interpretation but i think you're a hundred percent right uh but yeah i really want to talk about how funny this movie is as well because it's very funny it's Um, very funny it's very funny and i think the diablo cody stuff we, we referenced it a little bit how it's annoying it was so weird to watch this movie for the first time nine years after it came out because I do feel like the slang that she's known for inserting into, like, Juno and Jennifer's body, watching it nine years later, just feel like, oh, was that what kids ta- uh, talked like nine years ago? Like, it, it doesn't feel as unnatural as Juno did at some points. And I do kind of like Juno. But I do think that if a kid – like, if someone discovered this movie 20 years from now, they would just assume this is how kids talk. Like, it, it's amazing how much time kind of, like – uh, separates the slang from um, the in, the the fact that it was kind of invented uh, for the movie. The the only one that really hits like a thud is I think Lesba Gay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and some of the some of the stuff like there's some like R slurs and stuff that I feel like if the movie was written today, Diablo Cody oh, probably, yeah. probably wouldn't have included. Yeah. So it's. Um, so there's definitely some stuff that like watching it, I'm like, Ooh, like let's probably not use those words. Um, but other stuff, but yeah, other stuff, it's, it's definitely some of the pop culture references. I'm like, Oh, is this, is this a reference that I'm not remembering because it's been 10 years or, um, but it definitely, I doesn't need the references because there's other stuff that's just funny that has nothing to do with being a reference. Yeah. I started correct collecting a list of annoying. I, I started myself on a bad foot, but I started collecting a list of annoying phrases early on. Um, and then I stopped collecting that list about 15 minutes in. Not because I wasn't willing to be petty. Uh, I'm, I'm very <laughs> petty. Um but because uh, at a certain point, they just kind of blended in or what the scene was accomplishing emotionally overrode, um, similar to Juno, I guess, for me and a lot of people, um, it, it overrode a lot of the um, uh, the awkwardness of this, this dialogue sounding, not just unnatural, but like kind of try hard uh, un- unnatural um, like tr- almost sounds like Diablo Cody's trying to create new phrases. Um, is that is. Is that why is that why she's known for for that? Is that it sounds like an old person trying to come up with new phrases for the teens to say? Like what what do you guys see as the, the problem? I mean, I, I think there's a sense of that that's always happened, but like I said, it actually it it's less of a problem. It wasn't much of a problem for me. And for as dated and sometimes offensively dated as some of the stuff is, uh some of the stuff is even more relevant. Like that Maroon Five joke is somehow even more relevant yeah, that, than that it wasn't. That's I, a really good joke. Honestly, the entire sacrifice scene 
so is, good is so good and especially oh, especially the part when he's explaining what's gonna happen and he's like do you know how hard it is to be an indie band like there's so <laughs> many of us and we're all so cute and you know we we're in league with the beast now so we're gonna butcher you and we're gonna bleed you and dirk here's gonna wear your face and then dirk like makes a weird face he's like i'm kidding about the face part but the rest is gonna happen though like i i died like he was just so like matter of fact and casual about it um and it it's it's definitely meant to be funny while at the same time like pointing out you know how shitty it is about men sacrificing women to further themselves and their own careers without a care for the the woman whose life they're taking in order to do that um but I mean that the whole the whole sacrifice scene is just is just fantastic. A- Adam so Brody, funny. like I'm excited for you to see Ready or Not because he's so good in that too. And again, as someone who didn't watch the OC, Adam Brody's been like I mean he had a guest star stint on Happy Endings, I believe that he was very funny on. Um, he shows up in these places and he is so good and so funny in everything he does like he's such the perfect like uh dickhead who also like it's not even that like he doesn't know he's a dickhead he doesn't care that he's a dickhead like like here's what i want and that trumps everything else and so i have no problem explaining what i'm doing to uh to you i don't even need to give you some sort of like oh because uh, i have some like uh, so-and-so happened to me as a child and I need this to feel whole. It's like, I just want to be rich and famous um, and I will step on anyone uh, and murder whoever I have to to get there. And, uh, like, there's a there's a weird sincerity in his evilness um, that um, is so good. And, and he's he's like that in Ready or Not uh, as well. And also, the cor- like, the song that they write as tribute <laughs> it's so is... Good. The best song in the world because it is so perfectly uh, like this movie does have some weird stuff to say. Not weird, but like it's weird. I guess I should say it's weird that this movie has stuff to say about 9-11, but it does. Uh, It does. um, How many people like took advantage of a horrible tragedy? It's like it's referenced extremely explicitly when the bar (laughs) goes down. They're talking about 9-11, American flag is killed. And then you have this band like the fucking Alan Jacksons of the world who are like uh, writing the Where Were You songs about 9-11. But this song is like so perfectly like threads that needle between something that is so close to the thing it's parodying. Uh, It could be real. Like the the fact that the chorus is um i'm still here breathing now is so good uh and it, it also it, like all the production on that like even the way the drums sound like this is one of those movies that accidentally or maybe on purpose i don't know but mostly accidentally perfectly captured 2005 like Indie rock, uh, that the the mid two thousand. I think like emo punk, like da- dashboard confessional. Yes, I, I, even though they say indie band, like this feels like the fact that it has that fu- like how many goddamn pop punk radio hits were there in like two thousand four to two thousand eight? That was just like, what if we do a pop punk version of fucking time after time? What if like, and I'm assuming the one of I can see clearly now in this movie is like a real song i didn't look it up oh yeah and but, it's terrible it's it's so bad but like i don't even know who sings it but it is like 
is the perfect song to just be like, the fact that this fucking guy is, like, so into this song and, like, it's a good song played so fast and so lazily that it makes it a bad song is, like, God, it's just perfect. It's like, this is bad. And yeah. somehow everyone's connected to this. Like, like I said, what if I had a worse version of all my songs? Not. Like, I, I don't know which songs were put in the soundtrack just because, like, they, they liked it. And which songs were put on the soundtrack because they were, um, it just, it, you know, happened to prove a point. But Through the Trees is such a perfect parody of um, how people monetize tragedy, how indie rock sounded at the time, how, um, it, you know, it, just, it captures, it captures such a, a, a tough era, I think, to capture. And Needy's rejection of it and nonconformity to the accepted uh the the accepted grieving uh is such a great comment on people yeah. who who buck against those things like no society has decided that this is okay and how dare you uh, and also, Speak she's like one it. of the. She was fucking there. She was one of like yeah. the survivors. It shows you not just you know the way we ignored first responders having lung problems all of a sudden in then two thousand five, and you're like, uh, yeah, something. They, they were breathing in some some tough shit, huh? And then if and then that like a year or two later, it was all of a sudden these first responders were getting cancer, and you're like, yeah, maybe we should do something about that. And then they kind of dusted them under the rug until people blew them yeah. up. Um, and it, uh, it it does feel like almost a perfect analogy because like literally, Needy is in a class saying, "Hey, these guys weren't heroes. As a matter of fact, they saved no one, and like then took my friend." And did at this point, I don't even know what, like, blah, blah, right. blah. And, and, and someone else is like, uh, then attacks her for saying that. It does feel like the, the, the first responders who, where, when people are saying stuff like, oh, we have to support all our great people. And then there's like a first responder that shows up to a congressional office and that guy's like, fuck you, get out of my face. Yeah. And it's like, are you kidding? <laughs> like, think, I'm the person you're talking about. I think it's a great comment on, um, the dumb, shit that people are willing to believe as well because needy says i was there they didn't do anything and that kid in her class is like um it's on the wikipedia like <laughs> yeah like oh so it's it's on the internet so it must be true except a person who was there is telling you it's fucking not like and it's it's really amazing how you know like you know, what's that that famous you know what are you gonna believe you know what you see or what i tell you and or the the me or your lying eyes yeah and yeah. and it's um and it's 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 fascinating like how um and of course you know jk simmons is is always amazing and fantastic and he's so he, funny the way he says pecan sandies is amazing he knows how to say a mid, he knows how to throw out a midwest accent you know yes he he's just every time he's on screen he's just so goddamn good at like I'm not surprised he was also in Burn After Reading the same year. <laughs> like, the Coen brothers needed to work with him. Um, immediately, yeah. Immediately. Like, that, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's good shit. Um, he's also, I mean, he's a holdover from Juno, where he played a very similar character. Sort of the, like, you know, <laughs> middle-aged, <laughs> clueless dude who's just sort of, the only way he can react is like, Yeah, um, well, this is, uh, fucked up. Um... Uh, <laughs> 
and like you need those characters in these movies because it kind of <laughs> it kind of it kind of speaks how like normal folks react to this shit where you're just like yeah so uh so uh i don't have any answers for you but um i'm certainly <laughs> gonna be saying things now and or the part where like the the uh football player is getting killed by megan fox in the woods and he hears like the blood curdling scream and yelps he's like that's right kids let, Let it, it out. all out. <laughs> it's so good. I think it's what so makes good. this movie cool is that he, like, it starts as a joke, and then you see J.K. Simmons' face just deflate into horror. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's what makes this movie so fucking good, is that they don't just cut away to him making a sort of, like, <laughs> kids, and then move on. Um, they actually have the moment where he realizes, like, shit is fucked up. But I also like one thing I really like about this movie. And I've talked about how it's like it's always a hard thing to talk about liking because like obviously I think life in real life is precious. But I do find a level of comedy in horrific disasters in movies that all of the characters underplay. The fire at the bar is both so sudden and unexpected and so horrific like, like, it's not like, oh, a fire that took someone's life. Like, people are trapped in there burning to death. And then the way the town reacts for the most part and the way the band reacts right after is so nonchalant that that, like, the way those two things contrast is very, is very funny to me. Like, when, when comedies underplay, like, the value of human life, when they do it well, it can be, in some ways, very humorous. Oh, right. Like right after the bar is still burning and Needy has just gotten Jennifer out. And um, uh, what's Brody's character's name is Nikolai. Is that right? Yeah, yep. Nikolai. Yeah. 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 Nikolai comes up and he's like, I'm looking for you two everywhere. Let's get out of here. Yeah. Let's go to my van. <laughs> he's like just chugging whiskey. And he's just like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. The bar, the bar is still burning. People are behind them, like screaming and getting out. And he's just like, all right, like, let's let's do this next thing. Like, it's just so he's just so. Not yeah, even. That was that was crazy. Um, <laughs> that that fire that I definitely started. Yeah. Who who could have expected that? But uh, but yeah. So I, I I definitely I I love that. And these deaths are happening, and they're just like, okay, well, it's time for this for the prom, and we'll just make it the theme, the song about the dead people. Um, but like not in any kind of sad way, in a fun prom way. Like, yeah, it it is like. Like, even in, like, in Scream, like, the town reacts pretty seriously, then they cancel school, then they're on house arrest. Like, this is like, oh, another dead body. Life goes on. Thankfully, yeah. we are, thankfully we already have the song, so we're pretty much in good shape, because <laughs> we'll be able to, we'll be able to mourn as, like, there's no invest, I love that there's, like, no investigation. Uh, even though there is some lip service to why there's no investigation, like, as people start getting killed, it's, it's, it's just rare because I think sometimes, you know, Peter, you've mentioned it before, like, the least interesting person in the Giallo movie is the police officer who's sent <laughs> to find the killer. Like, As soon as they uh, cut away from either the killer or the woman who is about to either be killed or threatened to be killed, I'm like, no, I don't want to see some fucking white dude at his desk. 
Yeah, like, no one cares about that. And the way this movie just is like, yeah, what if life isn't as precious in the world of this movie, or at least at this high school, or whatever else is going on? And, like, people kind of bounce back, and, like, they're affected, but not, like, shut the town down, the police are coming. Like, we we leave all of that and are able to focus on the relationship between Jennifer and Needy, and that's so rare, because I think so many movies are focused on having a modicum of realism that it feels like they need to introduce that police component and an investigation because of course that's what would happen and this is a really good example of a movie that goes actually maybe just focus on what you're interested in and if you're not interested in that component then don't have that in the movie and uh there's enough people that will go along with it and follow you on the stuff you want to talk about and I think that's in tradition of, of uh, 80s high school movies and high school movies in general where parents are largely irrelevant. Yep. Um, and but but the one that sticks out to me most is because it, it sort of parodied it within that era was Heather's. Yep. Uh, because Heather's had the parents that were just like completely fucking useless and they were on screen like they, they, were, they were making jokes about how useless they were. And it was sort of sending up, you know, uh, John Hughes movies and, and, you know, various high school party movies of the era where it's just like, yeah, um, the parents don't care because they just don't care. Um, yeah. yeah, we I, don't also I'll say we don't even meet Jennifer's mom until she dies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was going to say is when they introduced Jennifer's mom, I was like, have we seen her before? <laughs> sure haven't. Uh, sure have The not. weird surreal part of most high school movies is that when they show people's parents, you're just like, oh, uh, uh, okay. I mean, that's, that's one of the best parts about Breakfast Club is that like, the, uh, apart from, uh, the principal, there's no, or the dean or whatever the fuck his name is, uh, the, the, the authority figure asshole, um, there's no, uh. There's no parents really in the movie. You get to see like tiny, tiny little snapshots of them. But other than that, like you're just left with the um, emotional aftermath of, of what these parents did to these kids and uh, how these kids uh, react to their home life and how these kids react to trauma outside their home life without, a, you know, a good parent structure. Um, and I think it's it's a good way to speak to kids. And, and you know, this movie wasn't exactly targeting kids but it was like uh it's targeting kids but it wasn't like a pg-13 super glossy like low gore kind of deal um but it sort of feels like battle royale where you're like all the gore helps it make its point but also uh the kids who most need to see it aren't technically allowed to see it in theaters (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah um i mean and you know we could get into a discussion about the terrible marketing for it um from from that because yeah let's let's touch on that as kind of a before we do a little moments and final thoughts um so uh i don't know if you guys have read any of the interviews that um they have done about it but um it's it's so it's so bad fox atomic um megan fox was in it so they were like sexy targeted to to teenage boys and um is it is it karen or how do you pronounce her name uh she always says karen in interviews karen. but i called okay. her karen for about a decade so fair uh. enough um <laughs> uh so um karen and diablo have said in interviews how they were like no like this is this is a movie for for women and and for girls and uh they remember like 
they mentioned an email they got from an executive that was, um, hold on, I got to find it because it's so, so bad. Like it's, oh, here it is. They asked for an explanation behind an ad that was fixated on Jennifer's hotness and were like, we got to get away from this. And the response they got from the studio was Jennifer sexy. She steal your boyfriend. Like that's what it said verbatim. Caveman speak. Jennifer sexy. She steal your boyfriend. So they, they knew right then that they were just, they were just fucked. Like they were, they were just fucked. Um, And so it was, and it was, it was marketed poor. It wasn't marketed right. Cause so many people have no idea what this movie is about because the, the, the trailers for it are don't, don't do it any justice and it was targeted like they did they did screenings for 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 young men and the the feedback they got was need more boobs and like m a m o a r and b e w b s like that's like the feedback that was written on like official like focus group screenings because they put the wrong audience in there so fox atomic just just fucked this movie with marketing yeah, I mean, the reason I didn't see it is because I was like, hmm, Jennifer's sexy, but steal my boyfriend? <laughs> <laughs> I just got him. Seems mean. Yeah, and and so it's just, it's it's a shame because had they done it right and marketed it to the right people, um, then, and, and I think that's one of the reasons it's finding a resurgence now. Like, if you, if you Google Jennifer's body and look at articles, so many of them are written this year and they're examining it in a post- with a post me too perspective. Yeah. And, and it's like, Oh, okay. So this isn't a horror sex fantasy, like other horror movies. This is a revenge fantasy because she's been victimized and now she's reclaiming her power. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, I think, I think it's finding its audience, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's a cliche, but I think it was just, it's, it was too soon. It came out ahead of its time. I would love to see what she would have done like if she writ writ the writ had written the movie today, um, I would love to see what that movie looked like because there's some things honestly I don't like about the movie. Like I don't like the framing. I don't like the voiceover. I don't like starting in the mental institution. Like I, there were things that I would would change about it, um, and I wonder. And there's other things that I feel like could be updated a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and I do wonder, like, if if she was starting fresh writing this movie today, what would what would there be? And I and I also wonder. <laughs> it would be like, exactly the same. And then this would be the pilot for a Netflix series about <laughs> uh, Needy, the demon hunter. Yeah. <laughs> well, I but I do wonder too. Like, would would Needy have killed? jennifer or would they have just paired up to be men eating uh succubi together like it it's because that's honestly that's it's it's not done a lot in horror um for a reason but one something that i love in horror when um you're fighting and fighting and fighting this thing and then you just become that thing and embrace it and just like you're like oh yeah like Fuck yeah, I'm 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 a, I'm gonna do this yeah. evil shit now. Um, I I lo- I love that. Um, because I feel like there's there's horror in that because it's like oh that thing that you're terrified of becoming. Guess what? You're gonna become it whether you like it or not. Sorry yeah. everybody. Sorry everybody. You're gonna become your mom. Um, <laughs> and it's usually and- reserved for vampire movies and zombie movies, not movies where your willpower is entered into the equation, right? 
Right. And it's, um, so I think, I think that, um, you know, as I said, that's, so there's, there's like small gripes I have with the movie, but overall, I think that it's really good. And I'm glad that it's, you know, it's, it's getting, it's, it's, cult following the one one thing that i wanted to talk about that we didn't touch on is um when needy defeats jennifer she breaks their bff necklace jennifer stops floating at that point and that's how she's able to stab her and obviously like that wasn't some like mystical you know amulet that they found like in a cave or anything that was just that was just some chintzy dollar store bff necklace that they had why it matters to me and what I found interesting about it is symbols have power because we give them power. Like that, that necklace has no power on its own. It, it has no meaning on its own, but you put it on you and your best friend and it gains meaning and it gains power. And because the movie addresses so many themes about toxic friendship and, and their relationship and the problems with it, when needy, severs that symbol of their friendship she is able to to commit the act that she needs to in order to defeat the demon but she couldn't do it before she made that symbolic tear of of their friendship yeah that's a really good point and i think also part of the thing that they realized they were killing each other is that the forever no longer applied so at best (laughs) Best case scenario, they at least just need to get updated necklaces. So I think it was it was ready for that necklace to be <laughs> yeah. thrown to the curb. Like, <laughs> be best BF, friends, uh, you, I, best friends until inconvenient. I, I also think it's interesting, you know, even though it's Amanda's character whose nickname is Needy, we discover how needy Jennifer is herself. And she's not yeah. just hungry for, you know, the flesh of young boys to keep her hair glossy and her skin uh, glowing. But also, like, when she's kissing Chip, before she even attacks him, she wants to hear that she's better than Needy. Because she's so insecure. And I think that's a great comment on how society pressures women to be all of these things, and yet we still don't feel like we're enough um ever and we are all constantly insecure because of you know societal pressures and things like that she was the it girl she she refers to herself as a god at one point and still needs to hear that she's better than her best friend yeah and it's because i you know she feels right like she feels hurt and rejected and like wants to make someone else feel that pain even though obviously the hurt and rejection comes from you know you are killing a lot of people feels like it's a big deal we should talk about that just kind of turns around into that like okay you hurt me i'm gonna hurt you back in a way but you're right like you're right even even within that like focus on hurting she needs to hear that kind of positive affirmation of who that she is superior to her friend yeah absolutely i feel like that's a good good way to kind of point us to the end here uh aaron (laughs) yeah we i mean it's a really good movie um we could talk about it for quite a long time but yeah this uh this movie is really good and again this is such a recent thing for me in that i watched it for the first time last year at uh, a few people's uh urging that uh i should really see it and was not disappointed was so happy uh natalie when i saw it on the list of movies we were covering uh this month and was excited to both revisit and talk about it and uh yeah this has been this has been fantastic 
any other final thoughts on the movie before we wrap up? Uh, I feel like I covered everything that I wanted to cover. <laughs> it's just, it's just this. I think it's just unfortunate that it was written off as a another like sexy slasher when there's so many different layers and so many it's commenting on so many different things and all of those things were lost like i think was it roger ebert that referred to it as like twilight for boys and i just don't understand how he got that at all uh yeah he he had a lot of wrong takes we we love (laughs) roger ebert but we we only bring up roger ebert on this podcast when he says something stupid and i'm glad we're (laughs) continuing that tradition because he got a lot of things wrong and i definitely think going oh yeah this is twilight for boys is probably the wrong take on jennifer's body roger yeah it feels specifically uh to to cap my thoughts off it feels like a movie that is both specifically for uh, built for women and it speaks to female relationships. Um, however, uh, I think if you're a, a human being with a sense of empathy and uh, if you survived the mid 2000s intact, uh, you will find something to enjoy in this because it's it not only does it capture the era uh, very wonderfully, um, I think it captures it, it, it weaponizes, I think, that glossy mid 2000s um, digital sort of uh, uh, aesthetic really um, potently. It weaponizes it in a way where it, it, it's sort of the movie is is sort of Jennifer. It's um, on its surface, it's really like clean and easy to digest and very pretty and, you know, like very easy on the eyes. And then um, as the movie goes on, it sort of reveals its depth. And um, I think that's a it's a great way to tackle the source material. Uh, and not just because it makes it more approachable to young audiences who probably are really going to get punched with <laughs> with this uh, this uh, sort of specific targeting, but because I think that making movies about teenagers from the the point of view of teenagers often involves having to uh, figure out an aesthetic that finds them in the middle. Um, Tragedy Girls a, a few years ago did something similar that I really liked um that's the that's uh that's why i think of jennifer's body i'm really glad i had a chance to revisit it because otherwise i would just uh be a stupid wrong uh dunderhead moron idiot who uh didn't you like can it. still be you, you can still be those things listen Peter? i just mean in this one thing aaron oh okay just the one thing i was trying to be supportive. everything else yes just a you have to change both. everything about who you are just because you like the movie more uh <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, uh, religious people do that, and they just read one book. So, yeah, I think I can, Aaron. Okay, touche, Peter. And, I'm a d- uh, and my thing is to be dumb, so of course I'm going to pick a movie over a book. <laughs> it's a long book they have to read because, of course, they've all read it. Uh, <laughs> what a what a weird snark! It is definitely late. Uh, Nellie, thank you so much again for coming on our show. Uh, what do you have to promote? Um, oh, I will send you um, those links to uh, the witchy women of the Women's Plus Canon and yeah. uh, to my uh, my Halloween and the Hag uh, piece. Awesome. And I'm excited to read those. So I hope if you're listening, you are equally excited to read them. Um, but they will be in the show notes. 
yeah, so check those out. I uh, hope you come on again. And I hope we don't have to uh, wait a whole other year for you to come back on, although it was it's always great having you. Uh, and we'll try to figure out a time here uh, to have you back on sooner. I would love that. Thank you guys so much for having me. I had a blast. Peter, we, we're just getting started for Ladies' Fright Night Part 2. Uh, and next week we're doing uh, the funnest horror movie that we'll be covering this month. The one that, you know, sometimes we talk about like, hey, there's serious horror movies, there's scary horror movies. And sometimes there's just like horror movies that are just a good time. And next week we're doing We Need to Talk About Kevin with Bridget Taylor. Uh, Bridget Taylor is one of our first guests we had on the show. Very excited. Uh, we Need to Talk About Kevin, which I believe she hasn't seen. And yeah, she picked it. It's um Yeah, it's uh John C. Riley, funny dude. Yeah, it's laugh a minute. It's like a stepbrothers movie, you know? It's John C. Riley and his kooky son. I'll get yeah. up to some mischief. Oh, and, uh, he gets up to some mischief. Oh man. Um yeah, but Bridget told us that we need to talk about we need to talk about Kevin. Uh so we're <laughs> How going many times to are we gonna make that joke? A hundred million. Um Looking forward to the merriment of next uh, next week, Peter. Mirth and merriment. Uh, mirth, yeah, and merriment. Yeah. Mirth, mirth, mirthful merriment. Uh, so yeah, so uh, we'll be back next week with that, and then we still have uh, a few more and a Halloween special up our sleeve. So uh, keep tuning in for all of us rambling about all the movies that we watched and talking about Halloween and spooky stuff and getting tired and at a loss for words because we're so excited to talk about all those things at the end of our episode so and with that van yeah don't don't get in the van don't get don't get so much for listening to we love to watch if you made it to the end hopefully you liked what you heard today and if you'd like to hear more please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch and if you can chip in a few bucks that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward uh it wasn't an implicit threat by peter he just didn't know how to say it but either way we'll continue to make more but it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going which is all on server space uh <laughs> If you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. 
show, we truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>